Welcome to the Knicks Wall Podcast. We are about a week out from training camp, so there's much to discuss. At the same time, there's not too much to discuss, but we'll let you decide. Uh, I'm Dean Joannu, your host. I'm joined by one of our writers, Pat. Pat, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk about training camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, another grueling Tibbs training camp is ahead of us. Supposedly grueling. I, I don't know how much I buy into his um his you know hard ass reputation with the fact yeah. that he decides who's playing on day one of training camp and it doesn't seem like there's usually too much growth from there. Yeah, we'll see if it's truly a meritocracy, like he says. Cause it didn't seem like that last season, but yeah, here we are. Yeah, it most certainly did not. And we've had some suggestions from Begley and other writers that Tibbs is going into this season with a clean slate with regards to his roster decisions. And I just don't know why we bother. Like, what are the chances that he'll decide someone like Evan Fournier isn't a rotation player when last year he had all the evidence in the world that, you know, at least he wasn't a starter or the best option as a starter with that particular lineup. I don't want to just blindly put down Evan Fournier, but he had the data in front of him. He had the lineup data. He knew, you know, what happened when Emmanuel quickly was on the court more often. And that wasn't something that he really seemed to take into consideration. Evan Fournier started every game that he played with the New York Knicks last year. There's a lot that you can say about consistency being key, but to me, that's, that's just a lack of effort in making adjustments. Making adjustments is a huge part of being the coach. Um, yeah, um, I agree with you on that. I don't really see how he changes. I mean, we talk about it in our Slack all the time. Like, yeah, like he's a 64-year-old man. Like, what's changing? People that age usually don't change their ways. But um, you bring up Fournier, and I think that um, you know, it's gonna be hard to get him out of the starting lineup. That's just me personally, because like he he's probably the most game ready shaped player that we have now. Like you were just in Europe, he was playing Euro basket. He took France to the final. You know they they lost to Spain, but you know Fournier is basically in game shape. You know, and um, I guess his main competition for that starting spot is Quentin Grimes, who's probably also in really good shape, just because you know he plays um summer league and he looked really well. But the reason why I think Grimes is a actual threat to take his starting spot is because the Knicks, you know, according to all these reports you saw summer, they refused to include him in any trades for, you know, Donovan Mitchell. So if the Knicks are really that high on Quinton Grimes, uh, what's not to say that he can actually come in and take the starting job from Evan Fournier? Well, the Knicks were really high on Obi Toppin on, you know, draft night and he went eighth overall and we have not seen you know, despite the front office most likely being quite invested in Obi because they made that pick, we haven't seen that matter to Tibbs. And I'm not talking about that, you know, Obi should have just willy-nilly been thrown into the starting lineup over Randall. That's not what we at the Knicks wall have been asking for all this time. We've asked to see Obi Toppin and Julius Randall play together. 
Right. Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson, injury-prone players, they both missed plenty of time. And so when we would have only one of those two available and the only other centers were Taj and Jericho Sims, Tibbs played Taj and Jericho Sims only. Like there were, I think Evan pulled the stat that there were 20 games that Obi and Randall appeared on the court together, but we know because we watched that that would only happen for one or two minutes at a time. Like that was an overlap situation in the fourth quarter when it would happen. Um, and so I just think that like, you know, you can, you can theorize all you want about the level of investment that the coaching staff has in players or the front office, like someone like Quentin Grimes. But if on opening night, Quentin Grimes comes off the bench, he's in that backup two role and he only plays for 12 minutes, you shouldn't be surprised. Like I want people to be prepared for the idea that the rotation will be the exact same thought process as the last, you know, couple of months of last season, not even as, as the start of last season, because Tibbs only adapted once the team was pretty much out of the playoff race. And I don't really find that he adapted. People were injured. Like even then he didn't play guys as much as he could or should have guys like Grimes quickly, Obi Toppin. So um, with all that being said, I'm just going to preview what I think the Knicks roster will be based on what I know about Tibbs and everything that we know so far. You tell me if you disagree and then we'll break it down. So we know that Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and probably Mitchell Robinson are going to start. Um, there is something to be said about Isaiah Hardenstein <clears throat> in that starting lineup. The nature of Mitchell Robinson is that he will miss some games. So we are going to see Hardenstein with that lineup at some point. Um, and I think it could work really well. I'm kind of equally high on the two of them, those two centers. And I think that they both have a lot to offer. So that's not something that stresses me out. Um, I'm excited to see those different looks. So if I had to predict it, I am going to predict on the record that Fournier starts at the two. Yeah, um, I agree. Right? Yeah, just for the record, like I, you know, I like to be right. And I think that that's where we're headed, but I hope it's Grimes and it should be. But I think we're going to see Jalen Brunson, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. I think we're going to see a bench lineup of Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, and Isaiah Hartenstein. The way it stands you know, we've just getting even more rumblings that the Knicks might make a trade before the season. When like training camp starts in a week. I don't believe that. I don't think that anyone should, if it happens great, but there's no reason to believe that it could happen. And so as things stand the way I just laid out, that would leave Cam Reddish once again, on the outside looking at right. Um, Tibbs job. I'll say this for the Tibbs sympathizers. It's not on him to showcase Cam Reddish for a new contract. Of course not. Um, but I think that he's the only true three that we have at six, eight, six, nine with his length. So you need to sneak him in there. The obvious person to take out is Fournier to make that work. But you know, Derek, Derek Rose would work all the same, but like Knicks fans, like we want what we want as far as like a youth movement, but we know that Derek, the Knicks play really well when Rose is on the floor. Mm-hmm. So like if he's on the roster, we're not going to be mad that he's playing, but we're going to, we're still going to be saying that we would like them to find a way to clear up quickly, clear up minutes for quickly. So do you have any thoughts on the way that I laid it out and you have any disagreements? No, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, just on the cam reddish thing. I think cam, like you said, like, um, cam is the only true three. And I think the Knicks are really stressed out at wing. Like it's, like you look up and down the roster, there isn't much, but I feel like going into training camp, you know, minutes are up for grabs. 
Like, I don't think anybody's, like, besides the guys you, like, like outline, I think there's room for guys to earn time. Like, um, there's guys that look good. Like, Farrahan, he looked good in uh, Summer League. I know people don't put too much stock into things like Summer League, but, like you say, the, Cam is the only true, like, uh, small forward that the Knicks have, and they're really stressed at that position. And, um, you know, with guys like Derrick Rose and and um, Mitchell Robinson, you know, like you said, the nature of those guys is that they will miss time. So I think that some of those guys on the outside looking in, like Cam Reddish, um, I think they have the opportunity to crack the rotation once those guys inevitably go down. Because I think, like I, like you say, I like I like Derrick Rose. Who, who doesn't like Derrick Rose? We all love Derrick Rose. But you have to expect him to get hurt. You you just have to like he he had two ankle surgeries last season and he was out since basically February. So you know you can't really expect much from him going in. Even though knowing Thibs, we know that he's gonna probably grind D Rose until he's out again. Yeah, and we shouldn't have to um, like Derek Rose. He may get injured, but even if he didn't get injured, you know, we hope he doesn't. He shouldn't play every game. That's a given. Right. Like, right. Dibbs does not, other than with Kemba Walker, he hasn't shown that he'll like hold people out of whole games, um, you know, to spare their health. And I think with Kemba, he didn't care much for Kemba. So that's why he was willing to do it. Like um, he just slotted Kemba in there because, you know, that's what he wanted to do on day one. And he doesn't make adjustments. Um, you mentioned Ferran Hunt and, I loved what I saw from Ferran Hunt in Summer League. I am on the lower end of optimism about Cam Reddish. So I like I don't view them that differently in terms of um, do they deserve minutes? Because I think they have similar abilities. And obviously Cam has more pedigree. Uh, you know, it's a very smooth player. He's got the shooting mm-hmm. potential. But my issue with Cam Reddish is like the footwork, the not getting set on his threes. All those threes he took, I understand that he was um, trying to showcase himself, earn minutes in Tibbs' rotation. But to me, it's a red flag that he thought that that's the way he was going to earn the minutes. Like he would dribble behind the three-point line, you know, to try to get himself a look and, and kind of rush it and then shoot with his feet facing sideways, clicking together, landing weirdly. He doesn't have that like repetitive jumper. It still looks smooth because his mechanics up top are smooth and he's long and he's lanky, but like Cam Reddish has been a theoretical player for a long time. He's very, very mm-hmm. up and down and mostly down at Duke. His NBA career, he had like a 42 point game with Atlanta last year, but they were 11 points per possession or 11, 11 points per hundred possessions worth worse when he was out there. So there's not, there's not a lot of real evidence that Cam needs to be playing. And that's why I think, well, not that Tibbs looks like at numbers so much, but with the guys we have, I don't think Cam Reddish will play. And Tibbs wants to play nine, and we laid out 11, who like mm-hmm. the suggests that they will and they have to play. And after that is when you get into Deuce McBride, who I don't, I think we're going to see a lot of Westchester and yep. type of stuff from Deuce McBride. Um, who am I forgetting? Jericho Sims. Jericho Sims. Again, situational. If a center gets hurt, he'll play. Because once again, yeah. Tibbs won't play OB at center if Randall's at the four. This stuff that Tibbs loves Obi, he wants to give him more minutes. Oh, Emmanuel quickly is going to have a bigger year. Show me that because there's right. no evidence of that. There's none. You have to jump in circles, jump through hoops, 
to convince yourself that that's the case. And I don't begrudge anyone who is just naturally optimistic and hopeful about things because I'm very optimistic too about <laughs> it. But I, you also have to be, just have to be pragmatic about the situation. Like why would Tibbs at 64, he's going to turn 65 on January 17th, 2023. Why would he be a different kind of coach this year? I don't see it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it's good to be optimistic, but there's too much evidence against it. You know, he's going to play his guys. I think the best thing that the front office did was taking away some of those pieces that he's super attached to, you know, Taj walking, um, Noel getting traded, like Alec Burks, you know, all those guys going to Detroit and stuff. Like, I feel like that's the best thing that the Knicks did, did because like it forces his hand. Like, all right, like you don't have these guys that you're married to now. So figure it out. And I think that's really important because it's like if 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 those guys are still around, you know for a fact that Alec Burks would be right behind Jalen Brunson and he, you know, he'd he'd be a combo guard sort of thing, like like we saw last season. You know, like I don't know what it I don't know what loyalty Thibodeau has to these guys. I guess it's because he knows them and he trusts them. But the thing is, is like you say, like, you know, he has these young players that, you know, it's like he does the opposite of what the front office is trying to do because they got rid of these guys and they're like, look, you have you saw what Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin did at the end of the season. They went out with a bang. I think Obi had a week where he had a 30 point game, two 20 point games and, and a 40 point game. Like, I think he broke, he, he like eclipsed his career high in points all in the same week, three times, but that's besides the point. It It's like, look, you saw, you see what you have. So use it. You know what I'm saying? And, the thing with not playing Obi with Randall, it makes no sense. I wrote an article last year where I outlined how it works. So it works. I don't know what he's afraid of. I, I like I don't I, I guess he has to have a big man in the paint for whatever reason, but it, it's just things that it, it, there's a lot working against being optimistic with Tibbs changing. And the thing for me is that Tibbs has this like very entrenched reputation as being this basketball junkie. And when he was off from the, when he was out of the league for a short time after his departure from the wolves, departure, meaning they fired him for cause, like, you know, for, for good reason, not for cause, like he, you know, did something scandalous, but well, I could, I would argue that playing Jeff Teague over Ricky Rubio that much was scandalous, but I digress. Um, they said that he went on this tour of other teams, practice facilities and their practices. And he got to see how other teams do stuff. And he came back on the exact same type of time. Like I, I don't have, where's the growth from Tibbs? The only growth that I can really think of is that he has his team shoot a lot of threes. He is very open about three point shooting, but like doesn't have really the, the offensive sets to create the best possible three point looks. He just, wants to yell at quick, shoot the ball, I'll yell at Fournier, shoot the ball. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is with Tibbs. Um, if someone else was deciding the rotations for Tibbs, I don't know that I'd have so much of a problem with him, but that is a huge part of his job. And he doesn't seem like the type of person to defer to others or, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, um, he it needs to be a meritocracy. You have to earn it. Like if you see somebody's playing well, you have to play them. You can't just like 
play the guys that you know or the guys that you like, you know, just because you're comfortable. You you can't do that. You can't have any success like you're not gonna have any success like that. And the thing, and that's the thing with Thibs and like like they want like he's trying to win, you know, like that's what he was trying to do last season, I guess. But the thing is like, dude, it's not working. What you're doing is not working. So you have to make these adjustments. And and it's like I mean, I guess we could move on from this, but it's just, you know, this is the main, this is our main point of contention. Like, will he use the players that he has, you know, at his disposal, like, you know, to the best of their ability, like, like Obi Toppin should be out there. Like he should be out there mixing it up with every single lineup. Cause he's a, he's Obi's a machine. Like, I mean, Obi's your guy. You're the captain of the Obi train. So my thing is, like, and you see it. Everybody sees it. He continue like Obi's motor does not stop. He's always running around the court. He's always pointing his finger up in the air. He's always looking for an alley. He's always looking to be involved. And Obi isn't a stationary player, like Julius Randle is. Obi's constantly moving around. So the idea that you know they wouldn't work because I guess it's small ball makes no sense. And it's just like, how do I put this? I just want to, like, every, like, basketball is positionless, you know, like, guys play all, like, you know, it gets all jumbled up once they're on the court anyway. So my thing is, it's like, just play the best players that you have. Don't be married to guys that you're comfortable with, because obviously it didn't work last season. And, like, you were, once your hand was forced, you saw the good things that you already had. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it took injuries and a bunch of other stuff for him to say, all right, now I guess I got to it. it took seven guys in COVID protocols for Grimes to play. What did Grimes do with his first start? He hit seven threes. But right. People want to give Tibbs credit for keeping Grimes ready. Grimes was ready. He was a good shooter before Tibbs, you know, gave him tough love. And we needed a good shooter. And he's a good defender. And we needed a good defender. But it took everyone having COVID, half the team having COVID, for him to get that chance. You know, Deuce got a chance during COVID and he had that great game with like 15 points, nine assists, no turnovers against the Rockets. Mm-hmm. Great. He didn't get another opportunity because Tibbs wasn't going to be creative to get him one. Tibbs was like, okay, now I know that if disaster strikes and the whole team is home, then maybe you can play. But now I know. I'll keep that in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. Never look in my pocket again. I'm going to leave it in my pants when it goes through the laundry. Never again. So you mentioned Obi. I love to talk about Obi. I hope to fulfill my quota on every podcast of getting at least some words in about my favorite player. Should be yours too, but you know, if RJ Barrett is your taste, if Emmanuel Quickly is your taste, I don't know. Jalen Brunson, you know, teach his own. Um, there's no, there's no basketball reason that Obi and Julius Randle can't play together. It is nice to have 48 minutes of elite rim protection, like that's what the Knicks seek last year with Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel. This year with Isaiah Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson, you know, these are elite rim protectors. You know, this year we've got two of the 15 so best. Last year was the same, even though Nerlens wasn't healthy very often. So with Obi, people are saying, oh, well, you know, he wants to play Obi more. And people at the same time understand that Obi's not going to play the five. So it's like, oh, well, Julius Randle, his minutes can come down. Maybe he gets 29 and Obi gets 19. Show me. Show me because to right. do that it's not just about like, who does Tibbs value more? It's the rigid rotation. Julius Randall is not going to come out seven minutes into the first quarter to get Obi that share of minutes. 
Julius Randle will play until there's 50 seconds left in the first mm-hmm. without fail. If play doesn't stop in the last minute, Obi Toppin will stand at the scorer's table until the start of the second quarter. This is yes. just our reality. Tom Thibodeau is not going to get creative. I remember times I would tweet like, like, oh man, like this is so exciting that Tibbs is bringing out RJ earlier so that he can put him back in with the second unit. And people reply to me and correct me rightfully. They're like, oh, actually like, you know, this guy's injured and this is just his only way of getting RJ back at the start of the second quarter and playing him the whole second quarter. Um, so every time I want to, you know, jump through hoops to give Tibbs some credit, he remains in my opinion, the worst rotational manager in the league. If there are other people looking for that title or other people that, um, you know, fans just, I would like to look into their records on it. But as someone who watches the Knicks every single night that they play, I see it and I don't like it. Emmanuel quickly, for example, people are saying, I think Begley wrote that he's going to have a bigger role or that it's anticipated that he will. Emmanuel quickly is going to come in at the very end of the first quarter. And he's going to come in at the very end of the third quarter. Oftentimes he'll come in with a minute left in the third quarter and then play the whole fourth. That's counterproductive to me because then you're not getting the best Emmanuel quickly to end the game, even though he is our best fourth quarter performer, probably. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just nonsense. It's like what Hornacek would do with Frank, like put him in with six minutes left in the third. You're going to play the rest of the game and guard the other team's best player. Um, I am not satisfied with that. Uh, you have to be creative here. Obi's really good when the when he's on the court. The Knicks are really, really good. We went. I you know I don't know the end of season numbers, but I have it in my head. This one number from like the middle of the season, where when Obi's <laughs> on the court, the Knicks ran the eighth highest frequency of transition, and when Julius was on the court, it was twenty first. And so we can talk about in a vacuum who's better, but I don't really like the word better. The Knicks are better when Obi's on the court and not Randall. Not even talking about them playing together. They play faster. They move the ball better when Obi's on the court. I also don't think it should be discounted that they're more fun to watch when Obi's on the court. Obi's a more fun player to watch than Randall. The fans prefer Obi Toppin. The numbers prefer Obi Toppin. So this is not about me saying Julius Randall is bad and Obi Toppin is good. There is nuance here. And Obi Toppin, in my view, I know a lot of people agree with me, should be the Knicks starting power forward. Julius Randall might have a lot more utility in a, in a different situation. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you look at the at the ten games Obi um, started when Ju- uh, those games Julius couldn't play, um, I think he averaged something like twenty points a game. So it's it's there, you know. His ability is there, and like you say, the Knicks invested in Obi Toppin for a reason, and it shows. You know, it shows. But you know, it's like you say, Dibs is married to guys. And his rotations are so predictable. It was one of it, it was one of the things we screamed about the most in our own private chats. Like, yo, this is what's gonna happen. Like you say, he's gonna play him the whole fourth quarter, rest him six minutes, bring him in to 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 finish the half. Taj Gibson for his great veteran presence. You know, everybody knows the team loved him. Like he was hindering Obi Toppin's development just because Stiffs had to have him out there. Um, so. You know, the one thing I'm truly optimistic about is Obi getting consistently 25, hopefully, you know, sometimes 30 minutes a night, just because, you know, there isn't another power forward besides him on the roster. And, you know, you can't, I mean, I know this is going to grind Julius into the ground, but, you know, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of Obi Toppin. So I'm optimistic about that. 
But where do those minutes come from? Because if it's coming out of Randall's minutes, once again, I need to see it to believe it. Like it would be totally reasonable to play Julius Randall 28 minutes and to play OB 20 minutes and 20 minutes guaranteed as a baseline for OB would be a huge improvement. He finished the season averaging 17 minutes per game, but that was highly skewed by the end of season when Randall wasn't playing and OB was finally getting the minutes he deserved. And by the way, what did OB do with those minutes? Did he have one bad game after he started to start games? And no, he, ab- he absolutely matched the whole way through. Yeah, I'll, I'll grant any skeptic, I will grant them the fact that the sample size is pretty small, but when has OB not taken the opportunity and ran with it? He always does. And against the Thunder in that game earlier in the year, I think sometime in December, Julius Randle was out. OB started, OB played what? 45 minutes, something like that. And he put up 19, six and six. The Knicks lost. Obi could have played better in that game, but Tom Thibodeau went out in the presser afterwards. And he said, you know, they, he was asked about Julius Randle and Obi in that situation. And he says, it's like in football, everybody wants to see the backup quarterback until he actually has to play. I thought that undermining his player in Obi Toppin in that fashion was one of the worst things Tibbs did last year. And I found last year's season from Tibbs to be an unequivocal disaster class. Most of us are in agreement with that um, at the Knicks. Well, I think we all are. I don't think we have anyone who's not. So I don't need to be so, um, you know, so political about it, but I don't know where the minutes are going to come from. Mitchell Robinson, and Isaiah Hardenstein should combine for 48 minutes. Like they're both, worth 24 minutes at least. So if they're both healthy, I don't see it. One of them will be injured. Sometimes I still think Tibbs will default to Jericho Sims to play the balance of the center minutes, but maybe we'll see Obi. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of Obi. but with a fully healthy roster, I don't think people should be surprised if Julius has it going some nights and he gets 39, 40, 41 minutes and Obi is locked into seven like sometimes he was last year, seven, eight, nine minutes. I do think that'll happen. And Obi Toppin is my favorite player who's ever played for the Knicks. And I work really hard to be optimistic about the outlook there. But I've got to a point where when we were discussing Donovan Mitchell trades, I was resigned to the fact that Obi was going to Utah because I was like, hey, they're rebuilding. They have a 34-year-old head coach. I'll watch Jazz <clears throat> I won't go to Utah, but I'll stay up till 1 a.m. and I'll watch the end of the Jazz game because Obi Toppin will be on the court. You can't watch the end of a Knicks game and expect it will be on the court with Tibbs rotations as rigid as they are. You know exactly when, who is going to be on the court. I knew right. when I could go take a break and do go fold some laundry, anything. I know when I could do that. Cause I know when the entertainment value, when the product was something I didn't want to see, I knew exactly what minutes to tune into. Yeah. I look, I feel you on that, but it's like, you can't ignore. I mean, I just think just Obi being the the one other true power forward on the roster, I think that plays to his advantage. I don't know. Maybe this is just me being optimistic, even though I'm so pessimistic about this coach. But look, I'm just looking right now. I'm looking at Obi's game logs. Like his last two games were insane. 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 Look, but the last game versus Toronto, he scored 42 points. On 57% shooting. He had six three-pointers that game. So my thing is like, look, all right. So obviously, he had six three-pointers two games in a row. Versus Washington, the previous game, he scored 35 points and hit another six threes. So it's like, 
you cannot have that on the bench just because, like, you know, well, I mean, I guess you got to go with the hot hand. Obviously, you go with the hot hand. But you can't just bank on that every night. It's like, all right, I have a potential. I have a, a guy who's liable to go off in OB Toppin at any moment. You can't just be like, oh, you know, well, Julius is here. And, you know, he's a for, he's our former all-star, most improved player. You can't – I don't think the Knicks can go into the season like that because there are – I don't think there there's any real expectations for this team to be – to win anything or be like, you know, even with the addition of Jalen Brunson. So my thing is – I think what's most important is continuing to figure out what works best going forward. I, I feel like that is – and – you know, Thibs is the age is not on his side, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's the hand he's been dealt, you know. Like this isn't the team that's gonna get him the championship, it's simply not. So for him to just um try to jam Julius Randle in there or whatever it is that he's thinking, it just makes no sense sense going forward, you know? And I, I just feel like you can't ignore what Obi did with his opportunities last season, you know, in that in that last like two weeks of the season, he was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I would, I would tattoo his like every frame of Obi Toppin's highlight reel from that 42 point game on my body. If I had the space or the <laughs> money for it, like I really would. That was one of the most beautiful things I've ever watched. I, the season was lost. There was no real significance of that game, but you see what he does when he knows that there's no one looking over his shoulder he's a great player. So I understand people talking about the sample size and saying, Oh, I mean, anyone can do that in the last game of the season. He was playing the Raptors. The Raptors have really good defenders. And also I know the sample size is small, but I can't do anything about that. If you crush every opportunity you are given, it's supposed to be a given that you get more opportunities. That's not how it works with the Knicks. It's really not. And so, um, you know, to transition here, I think that we should talk about what do we think the Knicks closing lineup is going to be? And what would we like it to be? So I will start and suggest that the closing lineup will be um, Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. For all of Tibbs' faults with how little he plays quickly, underutilizing him during the meat of the game, he, he closes with him very often and quickly is our most proven closer. Jalen Brunson is a heck of a closer. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Him in fourth quarters. Maybe Jalen Brunson's presence as that ball handling closing point guard will mean that we see Grimes at that two spot to close game sometimes rather than quickly. Um, if Tibbs use Brunson and quickly as redundant, but the lineup that I would like to see close some games, this is a pipe dream. This would take injuries or a coaching change. Johnny Bryant, what's up? Um, would be Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, and Obi Toppin. Mm. I would fall over myself running to the TV to see that. I'll say it again. Brunson and quickly backcourt Grimes and RJ at the forward spots with Obi Toppin at center. I think that that group has the athleticism and the youth to defend. I think defensive questions are helped a little bit by the fact that that transition frequency will be so high. The transition, mm -hmm. the transition frequency on offense will be high. Grimes, RJ, and quickly are all dogs on defense. People underestimate quickly on defense. Yeah. He's one of the better guys in the league at the guard spot at um, closing out on shooters on pull-up jump shots, especially in the mid range. He's got that six ten wingspan. I think that line can defend. 
I think that that lineup can score. And I think that the fans would love to see that lineup. And at a certain point, when you don't give us a championship, you give us a couple playoff appearances in the last 20 years, what the fans want to see should matter. I'm sorry. I'm not one of those people that's like, this is disgusting that they're, that they're booing Julius Randle. You know, if I'm at the stadium, I'm not going to boo, but I'm not going to begrudge fans who do. Fans want to see what they want to see. The ticket prices are absurd. The right. ticket prices are insane. If people pay to go to the game, they want to see the best possible product. Hey, I, I say more power to them. You know what's crazy? You mentioned the t- ticket prices. I saw a tweet that I guess the Knicks open up in Memphis. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I and think that's like, why Memphis tweeted at the yeah, and I th- and I think the nosebleeds are like twenty bucks to get into MSG. It'll cost you like a hundred and some dollars just to sit in the blue seats. So it's you know, so it, it, you're right. It matters what the fans want want to see at this point because you're charging an insane price just to get us in there, and you know, it's like we want to see what we want to see, you know. Um, but as far as your closing lineups, um, I love them. Um, I, I think um, Grimes and RJ are going to be hell for teams um, uh, because like RJ's contract is, is um, incentive laden. So, you know, he's going to, he's going to be, you know, a, a, a beast on defense. And yeah, I so think that incentive, course, yeah, that incentive, yeah. you put it out there. He goes from 107 million on this contract over the lifetime of it to 120. If he makes an all NBA or an all defensive team mm-hmm. um, ceilings on RJ Barrett, he could absolutely make an all NBA team on this contract, <laughs> but all defense he can make this year. Yeah, I think that's sure. in RJ's control. I don't know anyone who doesn't want $13 million. And I also don't think that RJ needs a cash incentive to D up RJ. Right. Like we don't have to, what we love about our young players is that when have we ever questioned that they're working as hard as possible in practice, Ooh. that they're giving hustle Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, Deuce McBride, even if he's on the outside looking in with the rotation, the Knicks to their credit, Walt Perrin, or, you know, the Knicks have a murky for an offer structure, but whoever's deciding on these draft picks have drafted very high character, hardworking players, and we will give them their flowers on that. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I never take away from them. They draft well. I've been happy with the draft the last three, four years. Like I've loved everybody we we've picked, um, and I I think they've done a great job. And like you say, these are high character players. These guys are these guys come to work. These guys like you know people say, oh, New York has that lunch pail attitude. These guys have it. And these guys, I mean, you see these guys earning every day. Um, but yeah, back to your um closing lineups. I love it. Um, I think um, you know, people might say, oh, you know, uh, um, th- uh, concerns with um maybe Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly, you know, being uh 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 I guess uh on the smaller side, but um Emmanuel quickly, like you say, like he's underrated defensively, and he's a combo guard. You know, so he could guard two positions. Um, like you said, RJ and um RJ and Grimes, you know, uh, on the perimeter, they're gonna be absolute beasts. And Obi, um, I listen, Obi's motor doesn't stop, you know, for whatever people think his flaws are defensively, like he's going to be there and he's going to try one hundred percent of the time, every time. So and like you say, the the transition frequency, once the Knicks get running, you know. They can keep up with anybody. So, I mean, I love your closing lineups. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be some variations. But um, as far as closing, you know, like you said, Emmanuel quickly um, is 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 super, is a great closer. And he's he's come out clutch a bunch of times. And, you know, we saw 
what Jalen Brunson is in the playoffs and stuff like that. So um, I agree with you. Yeah. I, um, I love uh, um, barring anybody having a hot hand. I think that is the closing lineup. Now, speaking of hot hands, will Julius Ra- Julius Randall will be on the court. He will think that he has the hot hand, and like I, the Knicks offense will devolve to running through Julius Randall again. In my opinion, I'm not rosy on the fact that you know just because Brunson's here, Brunson's going to get everybody organized. Like I really, I really don't see it, and I think Julius Randall is a liability to the Knicks crunch time offense. He's had some great moments in the clutch, but just his presence on the court means that we will not be zipping the ball around. I don't care about people's insistence that Randall is going to change. He's going to adapt and he's working on the floater so that he can thrive in the short roll. If Julius Randall gets the ball, maybe he'll give it up after five seconds instead of 11 now, but that's still stopping the ball. When Obi catches the ball with no clear advantage, he swings it and he sprints to the mm-hmm. other corner. That's basketball. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Maybe Obi Toppin has the energy for that because he's getting 13 minutes. Maybe Julius Randall is gassed, but that's not my concern. I'm going to evaluate what I see. And I see a better basketball team when you have the dunk contest champion and the best transition scorer, most efficient transition scorer. And what does Obi shoot in transition? 98.7%. Like for real, it's, it's unbelievable. So um, again, in my fantasy world where Randall doesn't close, even if I take away my bias toward Obi Toppin, I'd rather see those four guys at the one through four with Mitch Robinson or Isaiah Hardenstein for a closing lineup, just for how it would, how it would run. Let's say that you, the basis of your offense is a Brunson and I, and it's a Brunson and Mitchell Robinson pick and roll. And the two through four is quickly Grimes and Barrett. That's an unstoppable offense, not unstoppable maybe, but that's a great offense. And I think it's one that will hum compared to the one where Julius Randle needs his elbow touch and his jab, jab, jab. And the the issue with Randle last year was he wasn't even holding the ball to take that go-to mid-range pull-up that he had developed. Like he had lost confidence in that shot and rightfully so he was shooting like 29% from the mid-range. So he lost confidence in that shot. So instead it was just him catching the ball, probing, 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 probing while everybody stood around and that was not easy on the eyes and it was not reflected well in the box score. See, that's the thing. Um, <clears throat> um, like you say, um, I guess, we, I guess Julius stops the, 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 the offense from moving around. Like you say, with those other guys, there's constant movement. There, there are, well, at least there, I mean, that's our perception that they will, they'll be constantly moving around. Like you said, if Obi doesn't have an open shot or a lane, he zips the ball and runs across the court, you know, just to get a, better position um i feel like if um julius randall is stopping the like this is why i think it's 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 good that the knicks have Jalen brunson because i think that he's gonna be more despite what a lot of people think i think brunson will be more ball dominant just because he's the point guard you know what i'm saying i i feel like like julius randall will have um will have uh um how do I put this? How do I say it? I think he'll be more free on offense than having to worry about creating for other guys. You know, because because the thing is, in the past, even last year, there wasn't a threat at 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 you know at the lead guard position for the Knicks. Now the Knicks have that. Julius Randle doesn't have to be Mister Point Forward every time. So I think that you know he could uh, revert to a uh, to maybe a. a 
to moving around, you know, like just keep the, like you say, um, these guys want to move around. Like the Knicks want to, like the best thing for the Knicks is to just keep moving, keep moving, just keep moving the ball, keep like moving around on the court, you know, just, just, I guess like, cause since the Knicks are always moving and you know, they're, they have young legs, like they can tire a team out, you know? Um, and, and, and that's what I, and that's what I think is, is the most underrated thing about the Jaden Brunson thing, even though, you know, a lot of people are pessimistic and think, oh yeah, this is going to lean on Julius, which we'll probably see a lot of the time. But I think when push comes to shove, like, you know, um, we'll see, we'll see a lot of like movement, a lot of like, okay, where Julius is not like always having to create for others. You know? I think um, I think that Tibbs has a lot of faith in Jalen Brunson. They're practically family, and I'm not saying that Jalen Brunson's not going to take the uh, is not going to take charge. I love Jalen Brunson. I love that signing. Um, I'm very critical of Leon Rose, but I love that signing. No matter what the process was to get us there, um, I just think that the two things are not mutually exclusive. Like Brunson being around, I don't think it's a black and white relationship with how much Randall will control the ball. It'll be less than before, but Julius, it's, there's muscle memory involved. This is two straight years of being the number one option. Last year, maybe towards the end, he became more of a 1B for RJ when RJ mm-hmm. took the reins from him. Like, he wasn't given those reins. He took them. And I just think that Julius Randle knows how to play a certain way. Um, once again, I do not hate Julius Randle. I don't think Julius Randle is bad. I think that this Knicks team that I project, we can go into projections another time, but I project this Knicks team to come in 11th. Um, I think they definitely could make the play in teams, you know, teams get injured, but I think team quality wise talent for this year, they're probably the 10th or 11th best team. And so on a team like that, when you have a guy that you drafted eighth overall a couple of years ago, and the numbers tell you that the team plays better with him than Randall and the fans tell you they'd rather see him than Randall. Um, no, aside from showcasing Randall for a trade, I don't see the purpose of continuing to feature him, to have him in closing lineups, even to have him starting. Um, I I also predict that the boos will start early for Randall. They're not going to be fair. Of course, they're not going to be fair. But we don't. We know the deal. Julius Randall <laughs> dribbles the ball off of his foot for yeah. 10 seconds into the first quarter. He will hear boos. And if he's 0 for 7 halfway through the second quarter, he'll hear a lot of boos. That just is the reality here. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Yeah. Um. Look, I just, I just feel like you know, I get, I, I, I get that you know maybe some, in, some, some people within the Knicks probably still have a lot of faith in Julius, and that's understandable. I get it. You know, like he, he, he was incredible, um, the year before last. But the thing is, like, like they need to be realistic and tell a, and, and I don't know how you tell this to a, to a, to an NBA player. I don't know how somebody goes up to him and says, Hey, um, you're not him. Like, you know, um, we need to figure out how to just, how, how to make this more conducive to, um, other players on the team, you know, like it can't just always be going through you. I don't know how you say that to somebody. I don't know how they work that out. I don't even know if that's even been a conversation. But um like you say like you, you just mentioned muscle memory and I get like a lot of the times when things aren't going your way, you revert back to the things that you know. But um I feel like somebody has to, you know, 
set the tone early. Like, look, this is not going to be ISO Julius again. It's not. We have a point guard. We have young guys that like to run and move around. Like, we can't just wait for you to waste 10 seconds on the elbow and you decide to pass it out because you don't want to take a bad fadeaway. So I feel like that conversation needs to be had. You know what I'm saying? And he's a he's a grown man. He's making $100 million a year. Like, you have to do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is not ISO Jew. You know? And and like you, I, I I think Julius is a good basketball player. He is good at basketball. You know, he he is a great player, but he's just not, I guess, what the Knicks have built them up to be. Yeah, his his contract is not as bad as um not at all. The worst pessimist thing. You did say just now hundred million a year. If that was the case, we'd be in a lot of trouble. And um, no, oh. yeah, we should be funneling that money to Aaron Judge. I think personally, even though I'm not much of a baseball <laughs> fan, it makes me sick that they might not pay him. But yeah, Julius Randle's contract is not bad. Like even no, not a, yeah, not even as all. a pessimist, like he's at least an average level of starting power forward. He's probably like the 12th to 13th best um, in a vacuum. But this situation is not a situation that will make him look that way, or the numbers won't reflect that. And the disappearing of the jump shot. If the jump shot isn't there, he's not a fit. He's just not. Because even if Obi is shooting 3% from downtown, he's doing other stuff that helps the offense flow. Randall actively prevents the offense from flowing, in my view. And uh, he also inadvertently does by missing his jump shots. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. Um, and, and even if he's halfway decent, you know what I'm saying? Even if the Knicks down the road decide, oh, okay, um, we should transition more to Obi, you know, and, and start thinking about moving on from Julius, which is, which, you know, they should really, even now they should consider it just because of, you know, the moves that they made, like, you know, committing to RJ, committing to Mitch, um, you know, just, just the, even though Julius isn't an old player, but I don't think he's like, I think he's a little bit out of that timeline. But anyway, my thing is, even if Julius is halfway decent, like you say, his contract is not bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were talks about him signing a $200 million deal before he took the the team-friendly deal, you know? So even if Julius is halfway decent, you know, you could trade him somewhere where he'd be more beneficial to a team and, you know, to himself. Yeah, one of the last things I'll say on... um... This is to rehash old stuff, but the framing of it as taking a team-friendly deal, I disagreed with because Julius Randle, in my opinion, he just had the best year of his career, which came out of nowhere. And I think he locked the money in for what he could get at that time. He could have <laughs> earned more in the next offseason, but he properly um, chose to cash in at that moment instead because what happened? Um, he, I'm sure he didn't expect to fall off like this, but... If he if his renegotiation time was at the end of last season, he wasn't getting this money. He wasn't. So he made the right decision for himself and for his family to lock that money in. I personally don't think that it was so that the Knicks could afford to upgrade the roster around him. But it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Like it's like my my wanting to see Obi over Julius Randle has nothing to do with Julius Randle. It's just about the Knicks. I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I do what I can to be objective. I always mention my OB bias, even if it's on Twitter. If I'm saying something that I think, you know, is very skewed by my love for OB, I'll say it. Um, but I'm not alone in loving OB. You know, OB top and chance are my current favorite thing at the Garden. 
And uh, I hope we see more of him, but I'm just skeptical on, on how we get there. And so um, with that, do you have any final thoughts about the rotation, anything that you think we should look out for? I thought we wouldn't have a lot to talk about, but I feel like we could also go on for hours. I just got this new Zoom where apparently I can record for 30 hours. So yeah, <laughs> no, don't um, that's really good time. <laughs> um, um, just on, just, just guys, I, I, I just hope that it, it truly is, um, whoever's performing best that gets to play. That's really what I hope, um, we see moving forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to see guys just in there just because Dibs is comfortable. I want to see, you know, the best players playing, you know, w whatever's best for the Knicks. That's what I want. You know, like, I don't want to see, uh, uh, somebody playing well. And, you know, like just get sporadic minutes like we saw a lot last year. Like, you know, like we mentioned in the, in the beginning. Oh, you know, um, Deuce McBride, for, I'm just going to use him as an example. Oh, yeah. You know, if he continues to play well, you know, um, you'll see more time on the court. I was at a bunch of Knicks press conferences. Like I saw, I was there lives with the with dibs you know right after post games when a, a young guy would do well and it's like oh yeah you know he'll he'll see more time if he continues to perform then he'll have five dmps in a row i don't want to see stuff like that you know that that's the kind of stuff that i want to see change and um hopefully we just we get what we want more of what we want this season more ob more grimes more quick you know um and just just the guys who who are earning it the most you know get rewarded that's what i want I think that that is a very reasonable thing to ask for. I think that most of our fans are in agreement with us. Um, fans of the team, fans of the Knicks wall, followers of the Knicks wall. I think we all want the same things. We really do. So we're going to get a lot of clarity once preseason begins because the opening night preseason roster is going to tell us more about the Knicks rotation this season than any other team's opening night preseason roster will tell them about their rotation. That is the reality. There are positive things about Tibbs. I won't act like there aren't. We managed to be 12th in defense last year, even though it didn't look pretty. You know, Tibbs, Tibbs has his, um, he has his merits, but does he have his merits for such a young team like this? I would say no. I'm not going to say I don't think so. I would just say no. And um, I have a very strong Johnny Bryan agenda. Aside from my OB agenda, my number two agenda is, you know, mm -hmm. 65 in January. That's January 17th. Once, once again, that's retirement <laughs> time and it's Johnny yep. Bryant time. And so, um, you know, may this, may this come true. Yeah. And so, uh, with that, we want to thank you for listening and we want to tell you that the Knicks wall podcast will be a lot more regular this year. Um, we're going to have a big time increase in the amount of content. We're going to keep giving you good content and we hope that you will subscribe on whatever podcast player you use. And yeah, thank you once again for listening. Thanks, guys.